0: hey everybody welcome to this week's podcast i got pretty sick the past couple of days so i'm going to apologize in advance if i'm coffee or sniffly or the podcast just sucks overall but as you know i don't skip weeks ever so i'm still doing it uh, so let's jump right in and see if i could pull this week off First up is something that is awesome news for anybody that has a PS1 digital. Dan and Kristoff have added 1200p support. So specifically 1600 by 1200 resolution, a 4x3 aspect ratio. And this opens up a world of possibilities for customizing it and getting each resolution game to fill the screen top to bottom. Now, the PlayStation 1 has like 10 different resolutions it could use for games. So this is something that you'd have to mess with per game. However, Kristoff also added the ability to, if you're using an X-Station, save settings per game, including resolution and any of the custom scaler settings. So it really is worth taking the time to do this if you have a PS1 digital and X-Station, because you only have to do it once. Now, there are still scenarios in which... 1080p 5X or 1200p might be better or worse. Um, I showed some examples here in the post. Uh, I'll go through it kind of quickly just because if you don't own one of these, you might not care as much. But games like Mega Man X, um, you could run it in 1080p 5X and it cuts off a bit of the top and bottom. You fill more of the screen, uh, of the widescreen part of it. And it should be totally fine. However, if you switch to the 1200p mode and go into the custom scaler settings, you could have it perfectly fit the screen Top to bottom with no black bars, and while either one is good for that, um, I usually like to have as much of the full widescreen view available. So, for a game like Mega Man X, where there is no super important information on the top or bottom of the screen, I might still go 5x. There's no wrong answer Uh, 1080p 5x as opposed to 1200p 5x. there's also some odd situations like symphony of the night because of its weird resolution Uh, even if you set it to 1080p 5x in the ps1 digital custom scaler menu you still have a tiny bit of black bars but if you go to 1200p 6x by 6x it's kind of perfect. It fills the screen just right. Uh, and then, of course, there's games like the Street Fighter Classic Collection where really the only perfect way to do this is 1080p 5X. Uh, if you go to 1200p, it cuts off too much of the signal or just leaves a giant black bar around it. And same thing with original 1080p. So, um, you know... Overall, uh, obviously, this is for PS One digital fans. Uh, You know, this it can't be done on original hardware. And if you don't have an X Station, it might not be as exciting because you would have to toggle per game every time you launched the game. But this is really just a matter of preference. For me personally, to spend. 10 seconds just going into the ps1 digital menu flipping some settings you know maybe writing it down so i don't have to mess with it next time that seems like a pretty small amount of work to get a really cool look to the game um but you know if you do have an x station you just do it once and it always remembers it and once again um you know, this is a, a lot of the stuff that I talked about today. Really, is focused on 2D games. With 3D games, you might not actually want to uh, have it cut off and super sharp. You might want to set it to 960p and let your 4K TV scale it the rest of the way to kind of have a smooth plus sharp scaling. Um, of course, some of them you're going to want the HQ 2x, 1x, or, or Stage One or Stage Two. So it's really just something that you're going to want to customize per each game, and it's so cool that you have the ability to do so. So thanks very much to Dan and Christoph for continuing to do amazing updates to this. The company Analog has just confirmed that the analog pocket will be delayed until probably October of this year due to part shortages, and that that seems completely plausible because everybody I know who's making any kind of electronics are, are having to go back and redo the bill of materials and switch out parts and make slight tweaks to the design because there is so much of a part shortage going on right now so that makes complete and perfect sense to me um also they said that the super nt will be back in stock in april and the mega sg and dac will also be in stock they said shortly after So it's, you know, it's no surprise, but no shade thrown that completely makes sense to me. And it's a problem that everybody else is running into these days. So uh, I guess, you know, another six months plus till we see the analog pocket, but it's to be expected these days. So recently I've run into a few situations where I've wanted to kick off the update process for the Mr. FPGA project, either without a monitor connected or while something else is on the screen. I'll get back to that in a second. So uh, I jumped on the Mr. Discord, talked to a bunch of people there, and was able to figure out how exactly to do this. And I put up instructions for how to write an SSH script, uh, either just manually typing it in or creating a batch file in order to do that. Now I want to start out by saying this looks so much more complicated than it is. If you've ever done even the mildest IT-related stuff before, this is basically a copy and paste uh, and then save as a batch file so you don't even have to do it again, you just press a button in the future. But this all kind of sparked from my mini Mr. Cade project in that unlike all of my other Mr. setups, when I'm going to run the update to it, um, like if I'm hooked up to my RGB monitor, for example, I could kick off the update process and then press the input button on my monitor, set it to an input that doesn't have anything connected, and then the screen is black for the 10 minutes it takes to update. So no problems there. But on the mini Mr. Cade, it's there's no way to just turn off the CRT, which is pretty much the same in almost every arcade environment or arcade machine environment. So I thought, well, all right, you know, in a perfect world, you'd be able to set a screensaver. So you don't have to worry about that at all. But What's another way to go around uh, go about doing this? So I thought, all right, why don't I fire up the 240p test suite and depending on the monitor and your goal, either load up an all-black or an all-white screen. If your arcade monitor has a little bit of burn-in, maybe a white screen might slightly help over time. Uh, and then kick off the update process remotely so it's running in the background and your arcade machine either has nothing or a solid color on screen so you don't get any burn in from the middle scrolling of you know just that the look of the update process so all you really have to do is figure out the ip address of your mister which uh, i mean this respectfully i don't mean this as a dig but if you can't figure out how to find something's ip address this is probably just out of your technical reach but if you know how to log into your router and get an ip address you could run an ssh script even if you've never done it before, once again, I mean that as like a a positive scent of or a bit of encouragement, not like finger wagging if you don't know how to find an IP address. but uh, so you find the IP. Um, You run a command, it's going to give you some prompts for stuff, and then that's it. It automatically kicks off the update process and even shows you the progress in a command prompt window, so you'll know when it's done. Most of these reboot themselves anyway after you do a big update, but at least you could see the whole process. And once you've confirmed that that works, you could save that command as well as just adding the word pause at the end. Um, Save it as a batch file so that in the future, uh, all you have to do is just open the batch file, enter your password which the default is the number 1 and hit enter. So at any time in the future as long as this works and as long as your IP address doesn't change which doesn't happen too often with home routers, the, you know the the first time you do it's a few minutes, the second time you do this is quite as simple as just powering on your mister, giving it a second to connect to your Wi-Fi or your home network and then clicking on this batch file and hitting one and enter and that's it so like i said when i started it seems way more complicated than it is but the end result is a very very easy way to just kick this off and update your mister remotely and it's funny too because when i when i wrote this up you know last wednesday or something like that or whenever it was the last tuesday um I kind of thought, like, all right, well, this is how I'm going to update my mini Mr. Kate and I probably won't ever use it, but I'm glad I have it. And, like, two days later, another big update came out, and I was, you know, my RGB monitor was in use. I didn't have, like, a spare flat panel to put it on, so I just plugged my other Mr. into the network, waited for it to boot, ran the batch file, and I just kind of laughed, like, wow, I think I'm going to use this a heck of a lot more than I thought. So uh, just, you know, if you're into this stuff at all, or if you think the ability to kick off an update without actually being in front of your mister is something that's important to you check this out it's probably didn't require a five minute rant on the podcast but i was just very happy with the whole results of it all and ended up using this a heck of a lot more than i thought even though it's been less than a week so i just figured this was something i'd really want to share with other people and hopefully uh help other people out who are looking to do the same thing the Computer History Archives project just uploaded two videos that were Sony factory promotional tour videos that I thought were so cool. Uh, one of them was about their CRTs and they, in that video, specifically talked about how they make their flat glass CRTs, or how they made them back then at least, and why they were so challenging. Uh, and it also described why the TVs were curved at all to begin with, which had to do with the pressure of the vacuum and how a curved piece of glass uh, was stronger to do that. Definitely check that out in the video. They did a good job describing that. Way better than I am right now. And the other video that they put out was of the rear projection CRT TVs, which really reminded me how much I want to go back and check one of those out because it's been a long time since I've seen one in person. I think I was a kid the the last time I saw a CRT rear projection and, you know, it, it it was very unimpressive. Even as a kid, I remember how it didn't look that good at all. But I mean, it could have just been a beat up old TV. We weren't rich. I didn't have rich friends. So I imagine anybody whose TV I saw was probably just the cheapest one they got. So I'd love to see how they compare to actual CRTs, to CRT projectors, and to other things out there. But, you know, anybody around the New York area that's got a a rear projection CRT, let me know. I'd love to, to do a video on that or something. But overall, I just thought it was a very, very cool set of videos. And they weren't very long, so I would strongly recommend them to anybody with absolutely any interest in this even a little bit just because it was a very cool look into these things and i also just want to remind everybody that while they're um they're a year or two old uh the technology connections video on the story of the trinitron and how analog color tvs work are still completely relevant Obviously, nothing's outdated because it's not like there's new CRT info out there. So if you want to go down a fun rabbit hole, check out those two promotional videos first, and then jump into the two technologies connection, Technology Connection videos uh, and go from there. It looks like Nintendo has officially discontinued the Super Mario 3D All-Stars game and the new Game & Watch that was released. Uh, Vanessa kind of made this into a... Sort of satirical April Fool's Day post, but if you scroll down a little bit, it's actually all really good information. The joke's kind of funny too i'm always a fan of a good sixteen by nine er joke, but uh, the unfortunate not joke part of this is that uh, if anybody remembers correctly last year Nintendo announced that they were only making a limited amount of a certain uh, of both the three d all stars games and the game and watch and I think maybe one other thing can 't quite remember at the moment, which is not a tactic that I would expect Nintendo to do that's like um I don't know that's more of like something that a smaller company that's looking to sell their inventory would do companies like Nintendo that are that big don't normally need to resort to that so I'm not sure what this was all about maybe it was just an experiment they're allowed to make mistakes too but uh, the bottom line is there those games are no longer in print and you could no longer get the 3d all-stars from their digital store either Um, which probably means the physical versions are going to go up in price which sucks but it is what it is Um, also the Online Battle Royale mode has also been uh, shut down, and that style of gameplay is no longer going to happen. So uh, overall, this was just weird, and I hope Nintendo doesn't make this a habit. Um, I guess you could still find 3D All-Stars games out there brand new for normal prices, because they did make a specific amount of them and and shipped them all out. But when those run out, that's when, you know, that's probably when the prices are going to spike. So uh, if you were looking for either the Game & Watch or the 3D All-Stars cart, probably a best time to pick it up before they sell out and then you have to pay scalper prices epos vox just posted a video talking about hdmi pass through in capture cards and if they add lag or not he also went into details of a bunch of other things and was overall as usual a good video but i thought this was important to share because it's something that i've talked about before uh While some capture card pass-throughs add lag, not all of them do. However, some of the knockoff ones that say gaming capture cards do add lag to the pass-through mode. So EposFox used the Time Sleuth to show this. Um, It showed that a lot of them don't add anything at all or sub-millisecond. And that's just another thing I always want to remind people. Milliseconds is not microseconds. So if you have something with a bunch of microseconds of lag added zero just in your mind that is zero sub one millisecond unless you're using light guns um it should always be considered zero in fact there's an argument that like five five to eight and less could also be considered for gamers to be zero but at the very least in the context of this video, if it's less than a millisecond, it's zero lag added. Uh, and he went through a bunch of different capture cards to test if they do actually add lag through their pass-through mode. He also showed the um, the NVIDIA's LDAT test kit, which uh, I think this was the first time I remember seeing anybody test it. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, also, the only other thing I wanted to mention is that playing your games through the capture card is something I know that people do, but it adds quite a bit of lag to it. And that's another thing that Epos has done videos on and also has a Google Doc that shows um, the measurements that he's taken doing this. I've kind of experimented with this a little bit as well, but he definitely has you covered in how much latency is it from uh, when you plug your console into your capture card to when something appears on screen through something like OBS. And some of them are tolerable. Some of them are like two frames of lag, but most are not. Most are not capture cards that you would ever want, or most are not experiences that you would ever want to have, especially for retro gaming. Maybe modern games that were designed to be played on TVs that have variable amounts of lag depending on your brand, but I would never really recommend playing retro through a capture card in the OBS window. And in fact, if you notice in most of the videos that I show gameplay footage, uh, I suck when I'm playing those games. I'm not that good at video games anyway, but I'm not nearly that terrible. And the reason is I'm sitting here with the console plugged into my capture card, recording it on OBS, trying to play through the capture window. So just uh, some perspective that I wanted to share. Please check out the video and the post if you want more information. But, you know, lag is something that every gamer has to deal with. Modern, retro, doesn't really matter. So it's always good to keep up on this stuff and see what's the best equipment for your setup. A team of people have been working on a fan made 2D conversion of Metroid Prime. There's now a demo of a PC version available that allows you to get a few items and gets somewhat into the game, and I thought it was absolutely amazing. Um, this is a mostly spoiler free overview, so I don't think anybody would be upset to hear any of this, but basically, uh, it's a fan made demake if you will but uh it's it looks great it sounds great it, it almost feels like what a 2d version of the game would have been like coming from nintendo and it doesn't just feel like a 2d conversion so it's not like they took super metroid or something and tried to backport all the levels it's something that they obviously spent some time creating the feel for it uh, my only complaint, if you could even say that, is the controls. But once again, this is a beta. So, you know, no shade thrown at them whatsoever. But you have to use the keyboard and mouse to control it. And while I thought it was pretty interesting that allows you to aim with the mouse, I thought that was pretty cool and you got some some faster action that way. Um, The keyboard thing really wasn't comfortable at all. Now, I know people have uh, run programs to map the controls so they could use something like an Xbox controller on it, and that's cool. But I'm pretty sure if the team continues work on that, they'll just add that as a feature at some point between now and then. But I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I got up to one of the bosses and didn't finish just because the controls were kind of driving me nuts, but it, it really felt like a, a real Metroid game, and I'm so excited if to see if they have the time to finish it um, or, of course, to, you know if Nintendo tries to squash the project before that. You never know with them. Um, but overall, if you're a fan of the Metroid series at all, 2D or 3D, I would check this one out because even if you like 3D games better... I think you would enjoy the perspective and experience of seeing a 2D version. And if you're an old fart gamer like me and strongly prefer the 2D versions, this is really, now you get your, your true sense of Prime Uh, of what Prime would have been if it was designed in a 2D perspective. So overall, uh, I just was so impressed. And the only other thing to add, um, only other few things, is it's designed to run on Windows 1064. People have had mixed success running it on different platforms, but uh, I ran it that way and it was fine. And also the native resolution seems to be about widescreen 240p, give or take. Uh, I didn't have time to get it running on an RGB monitor, but I thought that would be, I I thought the look of it would really feel at home, especially if I did something like set my, uh, my laptop or something to output maybe even, you know, double the resolution of the game or something like that, and then used a downscaler to get like a true 240p widescreen feel. I thought, I think that might be pretty cool. So um, I'll get to that in the future. Hopefully the team will keep working on this, but this is definitely exciting for fans of Metroid at all. Castlemania Games is now selling DB Electronics Powerbase Mini and Powerbase FM. And these are converters that allow you to use Sega Master System cartridges on Genesis consoles, but the FM version also has the FM sound chip, which allows you to play those games with the extra sound channel. And there's surprisingly a lot of games with FM sound, um, even though it was only officially supported in Japan. Some of the games, the FM channels um, not really finished, so it doesn't sound that great, but others are really impressive. And this is interesting because this is only one of two plug-and-play ways to use original cartridges to get FM sound. Now, before I continue, I just do want to put it out there that any of the top-tier Genesis ROM carts will allow you to play Master System ROMs with FM sound, and of course, you could always experience it through emulation if you just want to hear what it sounds like, but This is specifically for people that want to use original cartridges, and a lot of us really want that experience either all the time or at least some of the time, which is why this is relevant. And if you're looking for FM sound from Master System carts, you could install something inside your SMS, or I guess maybe even in the official PowerBase converter to get that, Um, or you could get an MK2000 Japanese SMS and a cartridge converter, or you can get this and play it on a Genesis. So it really is, the FM version really is one of the only ways to to plug and play, get that extra sound channel from original carts. Now the plain old power base Mini without the FM channel is still cool. Um, But it's really up to you if that's something you want. Would you want to just use ROM carts? Do you want original SMS carts? If you have a Genesis 1, do you want to get this absolutely awesome UFO-looking original power base converter, which are expensive, but, you know, it's really up to you. However, do you have a Genesis 2, a modded Genesis 3, a Nomad that's been modded, uh, an XI that's compatible? Not all of them are compatible with Master System. Um, A CDX... Do you have any of these things that won't physically fit that uh, bigger power base converter, and you want to use your Master System games? that's where the power base Mini comes in because it basically looks kind of like a Game Genie in that it's just a small Genesis cartridge with a cartridge port on top. So it'll fit in anything that accepts a Genesis cart. So it's, um, you know, once again, it's obviously for people that specifically want to use original cartridges. And if you do, now you have a choice of two different versions that will run on anything that accepts a Genesis cart that's compatible with Master System games, either natively or with a mod. The MD Fourier team has just started work on an Amiga port of the software, which is great news for both musicians and audio preservationists. So overall, the Amiga was about as powerful as a Genesis, give or take. I'm oversimplifying just because it's not the point of the the post here. Uh, But one of the things that set it apart was its Paula chip, which is an audio chip that allowed for sample-based audio as well. And as a result, this made the Amiga something that a lot of electronic musicians would use for creating their songs, as well as things like demo scene projects and homebrew and other stuff like that. So basically, it's, it's a platform that when you recreate, the audio you want to make sure it's as accurate as possible, so that these things that were created on it sound the same today as they did on the original hardware, which is exactly the goal of the md Fourier project. So overall, it's exciting to see this get ported to more platforms. Um, I know Dopefish and Bernie have been working on uh, on this as well, and uh, I guess it's been progressing pretty quickly. So if you're really into the project, I would follow them on Twitter, as well as of course follow the 240P test suite project on Patreon. Um, and also uh, there's the mt32 Pi project that dopefish had worked on uh, and a few other things out there that dan talked about in the post so if you want more information on the amiga uh, and its audio i would definitely check this out just as a a quick starting point because it seems like a really cool platform that could be used for anything from music creation to just making your own cool new homebrew games Great news for fans of the Sega Saturn, the 21-pin version of the Fenrir Optical Drive Emulator is now available for pre-order from Castlemania Games. The same link works for both, you just have to check it from the drop-down menu, uh, and the 20-pin versions of it would be shipping later this month, and the brand new 21-pin version should be shipping in early June. So if you are looking for a Fenrir, this is definitely a good time to pick one up. And if you were weren 't really sure which is the best option overall for your saturn um, there 's three major choices that you would want to get these days, and each of them have their advantages and disadvantages. Um, they all perform really well though so there certainly isn't any uh, any one that has like major features over the other they all perform pretty similarly but the basic overview is the fenrir is the cheapest so at 140 dollars plus any micro sd card including one you might have laying around or just a cheap 64 gig you're looking at a really cheap way to get into optical drive emulation for the saturn Now, on the flip side of that, there's the satiator, which is the most expensive at $260, but requires no installation. You just plug it right into the MPEG slot and back. Uh, And while the installation of the Fenrir and the other option, the mode, is pretty easy, it's still installation. Whereas the satiator, you could just plug it in. If you want to take it to a friend's house, unplug it, plug it in the other one. It is quite literally just a plug-and-play device. So that might be appealing to a lot of people. Also, the mode is out, and while that's also really expensive at $235, expensive is a relative term. So, if you wanted to just use a 64 gig micro SD, yes, it's definitely far more expensive than the Fenrir would be. However, what if you wanted to use a one terabyte card? And that's where it gets interesting because if you wanted to have the entire Saturn's library on the Fenrir, A one terabyte micro SD plus the Fenrir is actually going to be more expensive than a mode with a one terabyte SSD. So they're all great options. They're just uh, options to fit different scenarios. And I would just pick whichever is the one that you would prefer based on your needs. Um, I've tried them all. I like them all. And at some point, I'm going to go back and do another shootout of like, you know, which one's the right for your setup. Uh, All the loading times are about the same. They're all great. Um, and if you want to learn more about the finrear check out my review on it Uh, it's still totally relevant the only things that are are outdated in it are some of the newer features and some of the upgrades but just the basic performance installation and everything else is the same so at the very least it would give you a good sense of what to expect but i'm really happy to see this project progress and i'm certainly interested to see what set has coming next well that's it for this week hopefully it came out okay uh i definitely sick and loopy but i still powered through it and i still had a good time doing it but i'm sure i made a bunch of mistakes and skimmed over stuff, rambled more than I used to. So try to be a little gentle on me in the comments this week, knowing that uh, I certainly tried my best. I just I didn't want to skip a week. I know I've had guest hosts before, but those were all scheduled in advance. And I felt really bad just springing this on somebody and saying, hey, can you drop what you're doing right now and shoot this for me? I'd rather just power through it and get it done and, and hopefully still come across positively because I'm still in a good mood. You could be you could be sick and in a good mood, too. But anyway enough of my rambling you've heard me enough this week Uh, as always thank you to everybody who watches and listens who plays nicely in the comments and especially thank you to anybody who supports in any way because it's your support and especially those monthly services that's what's keeping all of this stuff going the posts the podcasts, the bigger production videos and all of the tremendous amount of behind the scenes research that i do love being a part of so thank you all so much for making this happen and i'll see you next week